0: When asked what one must do in order to find salvation, many Christians respond by saying that a person must accept the Lord as their personal Savior, and they'll be saved. While this may be the most popular response, is it, in fact, the true biblical response? Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is your host and Bible teacher, Pastor Gregory Rigan:
1: Thank you, Brother Golf, and thank you to everyone who's listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all of those who tune in. As most of you are aware, I've written two books over the last few years. The most recent one is entitled "Understanding the New Birth." During my preparation for that book, I did a cursory search on the internet to see what I could find using the phrase, how can I be saved? I repeatedly found references to our need to accept the Lord as our personal Savior. A careful study of the Bible, however, will reveal that although this may be the most popular answer, it's the wrong answer. I challenge anyone to find any place in the scripture where where anyone was ever told to accept Christ. No such terminology appears in the Bible. I've asked preachers in many countries to produce just one verse that instructs us to accept the Lord. Never yet has anyone been successful in doing so. Now, let me be clear. There is absolutely no scriptural evidence which would require us to accept Christ. I find only one place that even remotely speaks about accepting God, and it comes from the book of Job. Job 13, verses 8 through 10. "'Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for Him? Will you accept His person? Will you contend for God? Is it good that He should search you out, as one man mocketh another? Do you so mock Him?' He will surely reprove you if you do secretly accept persons. In this passage, Job's friends are chided for even thinking it's possible to accept God. Job said that such an insinuation was akin to mocking the Almighty. Think about it. How can we, humble flesh, the creation, accept Him, the omnipotent Creator, The real problem with the idea of us accepting God is not just that it's unscriptural, but rather that it's the exact opposite of what the Scripture actually teaches. According to the Bible, we don't accept Christ. He must accept us. This is a recurring principle throughout the Bible. In order to prove that, let us first consider what Peter told the household of Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 35, we read, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Thus we must reach a place where God accepts us, not vice versa. This principle is repeated in the scriptures. For example, Romans 12.1 commands us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Thus, we are clearly told that living a holy, sacrificial life is what makes us acceptable unto God. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul goes on to say that this is our reasonable, or more literally, logical service. Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5, nine that we should labor, that we may be accepted of Him. In order to find out how to accomplish that goal, we should look again at the verse in Acts we addressed earlier. Acts 10.35, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In this verse... Peter instructed the first Gentiles to be saved that we must first fear God. Then, as a result of that fear, we must work righteousness. This is perhaps one of the greatest travesties of the doctrine of accepting Christ. It allows man to bring God into his life regardless of the man's condition. Instead, the Bible clearly teaches we should change our condition, allowing God to then come into our life to help us and save us. Please understand, I am not teaching salvation by works. In fact, I'm not even dealing with the question of salvation. Rather, I'm telling you how to prepare yourself for salvation. To do that, you must first be accepted of Him. This is not a new concept. We can see this same principle at work in the very beginning. When Cain and Abel brought their offerings to God, the Lord was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but rejected Cain's. Cain was angry and killed his brother. As the Lord confronted Cain over his murderous deed, he informed him, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. That's Genesis 4, verse 7. Doing well has always been the key to obtaining God's acceptance. I have repeatedly stated that there is no scripture which can be accurately used for telling people to accept the Lord. Whenever I've said this in the doctrinal seminars that I've taught, someone invariably brings up one or more particular verses to try to prove me wrong. The most common verses that they quote are John 1:12, John 3:16, Romans 10:9, Revelation 3:20, and Acts 2:21. I'll address each of these momentarily. Before I do, however, I want to first point out that none of those scriptures say anything about accepting Christ. They talk about believing, receiving, confessing, opening, but not accepting. Having said that, let me now use the principle of allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture in order to address the five verses I listed a moment ago. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Suffice it to say that receiving Him can only be defined as accepting Him if we can prove that definition with other scriptures. The problem, of course, is that there is no scripture which tells us to accept Him. Since it's not possible to confirm that interpretation, we must search the scriptures to find out what this phrase really means. Now, if we're going to let scripture interpret scripture, I want to call your attention two key words in this verse. The first one is received. The second is identified as the result of receiving. It is power. What we must do now is to find a verse that connects receiving with power. And that verse is found in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the holy ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in jerusalem and in judea and in samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth here we find the two words for which we were searching they're linked together in the same way as in john 1:12 the power that comes is the result of receiving here however we're told how and when that actually takes place. It's not when you accept Christ. Rather, it's when you receive the Holy Ghost. The next verse in question is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. While this verse mentions believing in Him, we again find ourselves faced with the impossible task of locating verses of Scripture which make believing a synonym for accepting. As a result of time constraints, I won't go into depth about this point, but I ask you to consider the fact that in John 3, verses 3-5, through Jesus said the unequivocal prerequisite to entering God's kingdom was the new birth. He further explained that the new birth is defined by being born of water and of the Spirit, plainly stating that unless you do these two things, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we've thoroughly addressed being born of water and of the Spirit in previous podcasts. However, my question right now is this. Why would Jesus say that a man must be born of water and Spirit in verse 5? And then, in verse 16, say, the only thing you have to do is believe. Did he contradict himself? Of course not. John 3.16 does not offer a definition for the term believing, but there are other verses which provide us with that insight. The first one that I would call to your attention is found in John 17.20, which says, "...neither pray I for these alone." but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Here, Jesus connects our belief to the word of the apostles. Therefore, what we believe must be based on what they taught. A second reference that adds clarity to the term believe is also found in John's writings. This one, however, is a bit more specific. In John 7 verse 38 Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In this verse, Jesus said our belief must be based upon what the scripture hath said. And he went on to explain that scriptural belief involves receiving the Holy Ghost, John 7.39 says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The important thing to notice here is scriptural belief is not equated with mere acceptance. Rather, it's equated with a spiritual experience. The third oft-quoted passage used to support accepting Christ is found in Romans. Once again, I find no mention of accepting. I only find confessing and believing. Listen to Romans 10 verse 9, "...that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved." Now the problem with trying to use this verse to tell someone how to be saved is that the entire book of Romans was written to people who were already saved. They didn't need instruction on the plan of salvation. If you want me to prove this, all we have to do is read Paul's opening statements in this letter and notice to whom it was addressed. Romans 1.7 shows us that Paul was writing To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. The book of Romans was not written to sinners. It was written to saints. Therefore, trying to use Romans 10.9 to lead the lost to salvation is impossible, especially if you want to rightly divide the word of truth which is what second 2 Timothy 2:15 tells us to do. Paul was instructing the saints that it's absolutely necessary for them to confess the Lord publicly to others. In doing so, he was simply reiterating what Jesus had said while here on earth as recorded in Matthew 10:32, which says Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Another verse I hear people use to defend this erroneous doctrine can actually be answered in the same way as Romans 10. You have to understand to whom the letter was written before you can interpret the verse properly. The verse to which I refer is Revelation 3 verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. How many times have preachers quoted Revelation 3 20 to sinners, especially using it during an altar call to try to appeal to them, to let Christ come into your heart. However, Christ was not knocking on the door of a sinner's heart in this verse. As we did with the book of Romans, let's look at the intended recipients of the letter. According to Revelation 3.14, this letter was addressed to the angel, that is, the messenger or the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans. The direct recipient of this letter was the messenger of the church, who was then to deliver the message to the congregation. Jesus was telling a backslidden church he still cared enough for them that even though they no longer allowed him in their midst, he was willing to come back if they would only express their desire for Him to do so. The final verse I want to address will take a little longer to explain than the others. In fact, I want you to know that I've produced an entire Bible study on this one verse alone. Rather than try to cover the entire contents of that study in this podcast, I plan to teach on it in its entirety in a future episode. For now, however, let me just address one important factor with regards to the verse in question. Let's look at Acts 2 verse 21, which reads, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what I want to tell you about this verse today is that calling on the name of the Lord is not accepting him or simply mentioning his name in prayer. It's much, much more than that. We know this to be true based on the words of Jesus himself. In Matthew 7 verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Did you get that? not everyone who just calls my name verbally, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. As you can see, simply addressing him in prayer is definitely not what is meant by calling on the name of the Lord. Next week, the Lord willing, I'll go into much more detail about what this phrase really means. For now, let me state simply and emphatically that if you want to be saved, you cannot do it by accepting Christ. Rather, you need to turn from your sin so you can be accepted by Him. In doing so, It will prepare you to obey the message which Jesus instructed his apostles to preach, the foundation upon which his church is built. Obedience to that message will result in the salvation of your soul. And that message, my friends, is found in Acts 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is what it takes to be saved, not accepting Christ as our personal Savior. Now, as I bring this podcast to a close, I want to say that if you have questions about this or any other Bible subject— please feel free to contact me directly by sending an email to bishop at olathtruth.com. I would count it an honor to address your questions from the pages of Scripture. Also, I want to let you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the book, Understanding the New Birth, is available on our church website, newlifepc.com slash resources newlifepc.com/resources finally if you live in olathe or the kansas city area and are interested in a free in-home bible study we would be honored to take you through the word of god either in your home or via zoom or some other form of electronic media these bible studies only take 1 hour and depending on the subject matter, range from 1 to 12 lessons. Again, my email address is bishop at olathtruth.com. Please let us know how we can help you. We want you to know that you are important to us and that we are praying for you, our listeners, on a regular basis.
0: Thank you, Pastor Rigan. And thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathe-truth.com. That's prayer at olathe-truth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week, Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, our Twitter account, and our website, newlifepc.com slash listen. Until our next podcast, take care, and God bless.